here we go. Swap life. Welcome to Sanctuary First and welcome to our Friday night uh, weekly review and uh, we're going to have a great evening and glad that you've come to join us again on this evening. When we're going to be thinking our main topic tonight, we're going to be thinking on what is the church all about and what on earth is the church for? And that's going to be part of the theme that we're going to weave through the whole of our discussions tonight. But we're so delighted that we've got with our, our writer for the week, uh, Campbell Dye. Thank you for being with Hi. us, Campbell. And Thank you. We are, it's great to have you back again. And we have also our, our group of our resident presenters that are here regularly. We're glad to see James Cuthcart back again. Hello. Hi there. And Laura Dagan. Hi there. And, uh, and Ian Jemison. Why, hi there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So part of what I want to do tonight is to just, first of all, just move right into the section that we sometimes take a long time with, is to start looking at some of the work that Campbell's been writing about, some of the themes that Campbell's been writing about. Let's just give ourselves, you know, say five or ten minutes just to discuss this. And then we'll go on. I think what I want to do then is go on and talk to Campbell because Campbell is also a lawyer, a musician, a writer. But more than that, he works in the square mile, the big financial square mile in London. We're going to have a conversation about what, where is faith there? And then we're going to take a moment to uh, zoom over to, to James Cuthcart, who's the poet, the writer and the thinker. And we're going to say to James, where, where, where is your faith in your green mile? Because the James is someone who is really always trying to encourage us to think about the, the importance of the planet. And then we're going to zoom over at some point to, to Ian Jemison, who's Jim is a GP, he's a musician, he's a writer. He's also a police surgeon. He's involved in lots of, you might say, where the rubber hits the road. And he's, I'm, what I'm saying is, faith in the difficult miles. How do, you, how do you work your faith, Ian, when you're in that kind of situation? So we're going to unpack some of that tonight. And then we're also going to, at some point, have a chance to talk to Laura Dagen, who's a minister, but formerly a comms professional and also a great horse lover. And we're going to talk to, to a, again, get her, get Laura's perception on faith in the marketing mile, in the marketing world, because the world's full of all that. So listen, and then we're going to be discussing in the midst of all that, what on earth is a church for? If people who have lived their lives in these areas, how can we make what do you bring to the church and what is the church for in the world and how do you understand the church gosh that's we'll, we'll never get through that in an hour really. <laughs> hey. isn't it two hours tonight i think it's two, two, hours, hours, tonight. It? two hours tonight so hey guys let's get going let's start the, the wonderful theme this month the theme this week has been uh, got a few questions so come on have you got a few questions to ask campbell about some of his, uh, his writings. And if you're listening to this podcast and you would like to look at some of Campbell's writings, you can get them on our website at the www.sanctuaryfirst.org.uk and go under the section, I've got a few questions for you under daily worship. If you go there, you can page back and find them uh, for this month in September. So let's go. I, I, well, I've got a number of questions. I hope you don't mind me opening Campbell. Um, with a couple of questions, some kind of hard questions, maybe. Um, I found 
an inspiring read this week and I was actually off so I had time to read what you'd written and reflect on it and then and also look at the passages in the Bible um, and what I found was um, you know a real sense of the history um, of the Bible coming through um, and making that contemporary but the question I would ask is that I don't see the Bible as a static entity I'm not sure you did either, um, but I would ask you, is is that how, some of what you'd written this week, I felt seemed to suggest that the Bible is a static entity. And whilst I believe with all my heart that Jesus was a static entity in the stream of time, um, I wonder if the Bible, if the writings of people of the word, are, are there not, other relevant passages that come along today that might speak to us were there not passages written after the uh, the, um, oh, the, the the whatever it was of Nicaea you know the the whether we're not the canon so you want to be discussion with Campbell to be theological because yeah, yeah. he is he is actually a church warden so this is you really wanted to say ask him about inspiration of scripture very much so, because because what I'm trying to say, Campbell, and you know, he and I have been in three sixteen for many years. Make and, your question quick. And, come on. Well, come on with it. <laughs> so, what so what I'm trying to say is that often I'll write words in the knowledge that Campbell is very grounded in scripture and what scripture says, um, whereas a lot of when I write. I write about not just what scripture says, but what has subsequently transpired from, say, C.S. Lewis or the other visionaries that have come after that. So, Campbell, is the Bible a set piece? Is it the set piece for all time, as you suggest sometimes, or is it something that's in evolution? What's your thoughts? Well, I'm, I'm glad you started with a really simple question. I can answer in a sentence. Um, and ev everyone will agree with my conclusions on this. Um, I think the Bible is a pretty set thing. You know, I, th I think there's a, there's a completeness about it. There's a continuity about it. There's what theologians like to call a meta-narrative about it. So there's, there's one great story that's, that's being revealed. Um, but I've got I've got a lot of empathy with what you say, Ian, in that I you know I find stuff like C.S. Lewis very very helpful. I find both his kind of popular theology writing, things like Mere Christianity or The Problem of Pain, I th I think they're absolutely brilliant. They've been very very helpful to me and helpful to a lot of other people I know. So I I wouldn't I wouldn't throw those out. I think there's some great other contemporary Christian writing. Um, Tim Keller, who's an American, um, who wrote something called The Reason for God, I think is absolutely brilliant, you know, right up there with, with C.S. Lewis. But where I, where I think that kind of Christian writing is at its very best is where it's looking at the truths and the story and the revelation that we get in the Bible, and they're, they're viewing it through a prism of the society in which we live. Um, you know, I know, I know Albert wants to talk to me about, about faith in the city. Well, Tim Keller is a pastor down in Manhattan, round about Wall Street. So he's, he's writing for people like me and he, he absolutely nails it in terms of 
So don't, don't, don't jump into that area quickly no, no, because absolutely I want to not. ask you questions about that. So I think the, the other comment, maybe somebody else wants to comment on that, is also the work of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Because the Spirit of God he reveals... It, it, it reveals more and more. There's, as, as, you know, some, I think it was Neil McLennan once said to me, see the bits Albert, of, script, of scripture I don't understand. I put them to one side and I say to myself, that's maybe not meant for me because I'm not, I, I've, I'm not living in that time. But it's meant for those that are there at this time or a time that's still to come or a situation that's still to come. So don't, don't, don't ignore it, but sometimes work through the stuff that you do understand. And I think it was Neil that said to me, I can understand. There's so much I can understand I need to get working on without worrying about the stuff I can. And I think there's I think, a practicality in that, but I think that's... Absolutely. No, I, I really like that, Albert. And I think for me, one of the sort of beauties of the canon is that it is now a final thing. You know, it is a document that is there. We have the Bible. But there's also a sense in which the Bible happens every time we read it. You know, every time we come to God's word, as you say, we discover new things. And the the piece I wanted to draw attention to um, that really struck me was the two-edged sword um, when you're given Psalm 149 to write with, which starts out okay and then gets really bloodthirsty. Um, And I think there's something about the kind of gnarliness of the Bible that doesn't let us off the hook. And uh, you write, um, if we think we're being handed a fluffy collection of mild self-help guides, we're in for a shock. And I think (laughs) if the Bible was boiled down to like some nice self-help guides, we wouldn't still be reading it. You know, it's a beautiful, interesting, often hard to read, difficult to read text. But I think it's that gnarliness, that woodiness that uh, means we come back to it. But I think in terms of like your comment, Ian, I think there is a sense in which if we think of the Bible as static, you know, if we, if we put, if we use those kind of terms, then it isn't alive, you know, so it's both complete, but living, I would say, you know, in terms of metaphors, like it's not, the Bible isn't stuck, but it is whole. Um, uh, so it is a whole revealed text, but it comes alive when we come to it. And of course, as you say, Albert, with the Holy Spirit, um, and it's, and in different generations, we discover new things. Yeah. Lord, I, I think, I think those- out of that. I will see. I was um, it was the asking God for guidance. Um, I think it's quite funny actually. We're all kind of like you know fixating on the, this kind of same kind of thing, um, because I was really struck by what you said, Campbell. Um, um, so the psalm makes it clear that we have God's word for guidance, and I would agree wholeheartedly that there is no better help through life but our society makes it pretty difficult to stick to that. We live in an age of uh, subjective moralism and postmodernist ideas where the reality of God's truth is often thrown out because it does not pander to 21st century fashion. And then I really like that. So so our challenge is to stick to God's guidance where we also engage with the culture and love the people in the society in which God has placed us. And then this, the last line just was like, oh, wow. So the further, um, oh, no, I went back. <laughs> uh, the, further, um, the further into the background we let God's word slip, the harder that is for us. And see, I think um, 
and I know it, it can be really challenging, you know, for us to be able to, you know, live, you know, actually live out God's word, so to speak, in this kind of challenging <clears throat> time. But, you know, I think a lot of times have been, every kind of age has had its challenges, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. And it's been challenging for people to kind of, you know, for whatever society people have been placed in. But the challenge is, is I think, for us to love, you know, love the people around us. You know, that's what we have to remember. And and with the help of the Holy Spirit, you know, bring that word to life so as that we can, you know, really love the people that we are surrounded by and that God has placed us in amongst. Mm -hmm. But but if I might offer something something another dimension to this though, and that is that, you know, we live right now in a time where scientific discovery has um almost exploded, you know, in terms of what we think. I want to underline that, what we think we know. And what we think we know about the universe, about the stars, about the nature of time, about black holes, about things that were never even part of the lexicon of writing and could never have been part of the lexicon of writing when the Bible was written. Um, and and that was kind of, that was partly where I was coming from with that, was that I'd, I would agree actually with Campbell, I'd, you know, I have deep sympathy with with what with what Campbell writes about, you know, there, there's got to be a line in the sand. That's true, but there also has to be a line in the sand that takes cognizance of the fact that, you know, we now know that time could run just as well backwards as it does forwards. You know, for all we know, we are in fact the future collapsing in in itself. We don't we don't know that we're always moving forward. All that we do is we experience moving forward. Uh, and, and it's in, in, in those kind of, because my world is a world of hard science. My world is a world of, you know, you give the same drug to the same kind of person and one person gets better and the next person dies. And how's that fair? Yeah, but here, Ian, here is the interesting thing about the scripture that you're talking about written, this part written over 2,000 years ago, Paul to the Romans, Romans chapter 8. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. And then he goes on to list it. He lists anything and any demons, anything. He, he expands it into the whole, of, the whole of the universe. There is nothing that will happen there, nothing that can separate us from this sense that God is with us and that God loves us and cares for us and journeys with us. And I take... I, so I think the Bible is not afraid to challenge us to say, you don't know half of what, what sometimes the writers were writing in a way, in a prophetic way, they didn't know half the times what they were writing about because they didn't completely grasp it all, but they were writing under, you might say, the, the inspiration of the Spirit. You know, and that's it. And the people that, that were surrounding them thought that they were madmen, you know, <laughs> and they were, you know, what, what are they all about? But, but they had that, you know, they had that, that trust and that faith. I mean, and Isaiah also says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so is my ways higher than your ways, than, than your thoughts, than my thoughts, than your thoughts. So God's almost saying, you know, and it's written Job when he says to Job, so Job, are you going to argue with me? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 he says to Job, Job, do you know something? In my presence, you should just keep stoom. But, you know, but I just think, 
big thing, Ian, about... You've nailed it, Campbell. This is what I want to hear from you, though. What What is your thoughts on this? Because, I, you know, we've known each other a long time. What What are your thoughts on that? So, I think there's there's a really false argument, a really false conflict being proposed by some people that either religion is true or science is true. And because we have all this amazing Stephen Hawking, Brian Cox knowledge about the way physics works and quantum mechanics works, and we can look back in time to just after the Big Bang, and that may have inconsistencies with Genesis. Genesis must be wrong. I think you need to understand what the Bible actually is. The Bible was written hundreds, thousands of years before scientific literature was even invented. I think the point you were making. And so, you know, it cannot stand, it cannot be viewed, it cannot be criticized as being scientific literature because that's not what it is. What it does is it tells us the truth about who is behind creation and the reasons for creation. And so I think, you know, you have to, you know, I think it was James that talked about, was it you Ian that talked about lying in the sand? I think, yeah, there needs to be a line in the sand, but I think Albert's point of the, the work of the Holy Spirit is, is tremendously important in terms of helping us unpack what, what it's actually meaning, what it's actually telling us. And the thing that, that strikes me about the Bible, the more I read it, the more relevant it seems to me to be to my life and the lives of people around about us. It's telling us great truths about who we are as human beings and about how we relate to other human beings and how we relate to God. And I find that astonishing because, you know, it's, it's written by so many different authors. It's written over such a long period of time. And yet there is this consistency. There's this beauty. There's this reassurance about it. Um, and it, it, you know, it's not, if you were going to sit down and write something that was going to be a bestseller, self-help guide, you'd never come up with the Bible. I mean, you wouldn't even come up with Genesis. I mean, if you, if you read Genesis from start to finish, some of the things they got up to are quite astonishing. I mean, it's X-rated stuff. So you wouldn't put that in the Bible. So it, it, I just find it fascinating that it has this, this spread of every human emotion Every human situation you can find yourself in, the Bible guides you through that. It, it, it reassures you. It shows you that God has already considered this. God has placed us within a context, within a framework that the, the Bible gives us, where you know, the things we experience in life are catered for in that. And then it's through our prayer life and the life of the Spirit as, it, as, as, as he lives in us and guides us and develops us that our faith really comes to fruition. So that's a very long way of, of saying, I, I probably don't agree with you that there's stuff outside the Bible in terms of literature that forms part of our understanding of God. I think I, the Bible's there, but there's all these other aspects to our faith. Can I say there's one other thing we should bear in mind when we look at the Bible. It's a, the Bible is a library of books and there's different kinds of books. There's legal books there. There's poetic books there. There's, there's songs of praise books there. So when you read it, you've had, and there's also uh, apocalyptic book writings there. So, and prophetic writings there. So when you look at it, 
you've actually got to say, what am I reading? And I think that's where people go wrong sometimes too, because, the, you know, the, 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 you need to re- read the Bible in the context of what it is. Mm-hmm. I think as well, you can only, I think, I think maybe what um, you had said earlier on, Albert, about what Neil had said, um, about, you know, maybe some bits that, you know, aren't meant for me right now and things like that, because I was uh, saying to James about when I was writing, about, um, like, when I was writing for the for next week, I felt as if I was livid, you know, I, and quite often whenever I'm, you know, I've got a sermon to write or, you know, something, you know, like for the daily worship, I find I'm loving the text and then it starts to come to life. And there's something really powerful in it. It's, it's, it's like you can't really always describe it, but it does seem to come to you when you need it. When you need the understanding, then it, the Holy Spirit makes it, you know, it appears for you. You know, that, that, that understanding comes either through, you know, greater understanding of the text or actually like the lived experience. And so it's never the same. And it's never the same, I think, for, you know, each person. I think it's different for each person because every person's interaction with the Bible is is completely different, you know. And, uh, you know, they've all got a different... I think that's why we're all ministers, you know, Uh, because we've all got a different experience of the loving words. I think that's true. I had a very interesting week this week. I've been off on annual leave this week, so that's been great. Um, But I've been doing work in the studio with different artists and different things. Um, And I was talking to a guy and... He won't mind me recounting this. Uh, we we did quite an in-depth talk for a minute in between recording sessions. Um, and for me, I simplify the Bible in a sense down to, for me, it's all about the cross of Christ. That For me, that's where it starts and stops, you know, in the sense that <laughs> that, that is the coalescing part of the Bible before and then after. Um but we were talking about how bits of scripture, bits of things that people of faith say to us are like little breadcrumbs through our lives. And they don't maybe resonate at that time, but you kind of gather them up in your head and then one day it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then this guy and I were talking about, you know, what what was actually um, important you know, in life, and we were talking about our various lives and how we lived them and our various issues and things that we had going on. And what it came down to was that there was that understanding between us, men who, by the way, had lived quite different lives, um, who came together on this one thing and that, that, that there, there was a God, there is a God, there is something bigger than you are. And, you know, it would be nice if you didn't have to be down there to experience that. But in my life, I can honestly say that it's been when I've been down in the depths that I've rediscovered that. I've discovered it already, but I've rediscovered it again. Um, and and this man was saying the same thing. He was saying the same thing, that there comes a point where you have to look to the cross and say, well, actually, there is a God, and I'm just going to trust you with 
what comes next. And I find myself, the older I get, Campbell, is the more that I trust God to do what he wants me to do, as opposed to trying to make my plans, which are pretty rubbish, to be honest. Mm. You know? Anyway, listen, the interesting thing you made there, Ian, was I think when you're flat on your back, it's only when you're flat on your back you can look up, you find God. You know, and I think there's something in that. But look, I, I would like to continue this discussion, but I'm looking at our time because I want to tease out some of the stuff about the Royal Mile, about the, the, the Faith in the Square Mile, but I also want to get, get a, have an opportunity to talk about what, what on earth is a church for. So in the context of maybe having a discussion with each of you, I think we'll need to bring in this, what on earth is a church for? So in, in the context of your working situation of where you live, where you move, where you've, where you've exercised a lot of your time amongst, amongst colleagues and friends, and how does Christianity connect with that? And where is the real church? But here's a question, Campbell. Faith in the, in the famous square mile, is it there? <clears throat> yeah, it definitely is. And that might, that might come as a surprise to some people. I mean, I, I don't know how many people watching this have, have been to the city of London. I mean, it is a square mile. It's full of high-rise office blocks. There's some pretty imposing buildings. It's full of bankers, insurers, lawyers, accountants, surveyors. You know, it's, it's all professional services. Um, every second shop is a fancy restaurant. The ones in between are expensive sandwich shops. The champagne bars, you know, it, it's, it, it is excess. You know, there is no doubt it is the place of excess. And so it's kind of, it's kind of strange that there is a living, vibrant, or several living, vibrant faith communities in there. Um, one of the guys who I used to know as a vicar in Winchester moved up to London. Um, and he is now the vicar of a church um, opposite um, the, the mansion house, so right in the heart of the city of London, where there is a, a modern 21st century monastic community. And they run a cafe and, and you, can, you can go in and you can have your cup of coffee and your sandwich. And if you want to talk about spirituality, you can. If you don't, you just have your coffee and your sandwich. Um, I guess that the, the biggest sort of faith community centers around a place called St. Helens Bishopsgate which I wrote about this week, actually. I think, I think it might have even been today's talk. Yeah, you did. Um, and it's a, it's a really kind of Bible-based church. And it has, it has lots of different communities that operate out there. So there is a, a sort of traditional Sunday morning community. I think it's relatively small of people who actually live in the parish of St. Helens. And there aren't many residential places around there but there's there is that community there's also a community of students because it's pretty close to Barts and the Royal London hospitals two of the big teaching hospitals so a lot of medical students go there um, and then there's the sort of lunchtime workers community so they have they have twice a week they have a, a, a service and people go along and you that Within, within your lunch hour, you, you, get, you get a couple of hymns, you get a talk, there's a Bible reading, there's some prayers, and then you can have lunch. And it really attracts lots and lots of people. And it attracts people who will have their own 
church where they live, but they'll commute back out. And so it gives them a focus in the week. Um, but it also attracts people who wouldn't go to another church. And they've, they've got various offshoots. Um, the one I go to when I can is called St. Nicholas Cole Abbey, right next to St. Paul's Cathedral. And again, you know, they, they, they do the talks. They've got one called Fleet Street Talks, which I think is the most um, faith-based mission I've ever heard of because it's designed specifically to bring the gospel to the legal community. And I think that's, that's a work of faith if ever I heard one. <laughs> Do, do so it people, happens. Do, do people go for inspiration or absolution, Campbell? I don't think it's absolution. I think it's inspiration. Um, I think there are people who have a faith anyway, and it's a good way of topping up, and it's a good way of keeping you focused on what should be important, and it's a good way of helping you try to make the correct decisions in the complex and complicated stuff you're doing professionally um, and you, you the other thing is you see it overflowing back into the back into the businesses um, so we we've just engaged a, a corporate social responsibility manager who's there to make sure that we are behaving ethically and we're doing lots of pro bono work that will help communities that that, that you know need help so we're quite big into social mobility um, to help kids from un underprivileged backgrounds get into the law. We do stuff um, with something called the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, which is all about circular economy and trying to help preserve the planet. Um, but the best thing about our corporate social responsibility manager is her name. She's called Lois Dugood. <laughs> <laughs> And, and she's, she's That's how she got the job. That's why she yeah. got the job. You yeah, bought her for the brand. Christian. And so, you know, she's, there's somebody who's, who's <clears throat> taken a job working in a big international law firm uh, and her, her motivation is to live out her faith in the square mile in a big law firm, making sure that that law firm has a conscience and it's doing things properly and ethically and trying to trying to be a better global citizen. So it's definitely there, and it's quite surprising to a lot of people. So, so Campbell, here's a question I want to ask then. So what is the church? When people talk about what is the church? Is the church about buildings? What is the purpose of the church? And who are the, who is the church in your mind? The, the church is the people, isn't it? We may congregate in buildings, but the church is about the people. And it's I think it's it's about people who know Jesus and about people who are searching for Jesus and it's about the people that we touch outside of our our community right could we have a discussion now can I move over to James Cuthcart who's a poet uh, the thinker the, the, the writer <laughs> the, the, the green I love the this green Albert map. you've, you've called me a thinker three times I, uh, There's I no think pressure, I love James. this <laughs> <laughs> I better start thinking of something. <laughs> you know, the, the green mile versus the square mile, you know, do you see tensions in all this, James? Well, it's funny that um, when you were talking, Campbell, my, my favourite verse in the Bible is from Jeremiah 29.7 um, about seeking the peace of the city where I have sent you. And, and I think I'm actually a bit of a city slicker as much as I, I believe in, you know, green 
um, principles and, and all the rest of it. I happen to live in dear green place, uh, Glasgow as it's known, um, because of the parks and, and certainly during lockdown we've been very fortunate to have so many parks close by. Um, but I think it's really inspiring to hear the church communities that um, are in that area, you know, in the square mile. And I think there's a sense sometimes of us, I don't know, sometimes thinking like there's one way to do church, you know, and I think to continue the sort of talking about green issues, you know, to think about it in an organic way, that really the church needs to take root. Um, it's people, like you say, but it's a community of people um, that are somewhere, you know, like their, their, their physical reality isn't um, uh, anathema, you know, it's, it's not irrelevant, um, but how that works can be can be really interesting and like with sanctuary first our physical space matters even if we're not physically together we're still beings right we're still incarnational we're still taking time making time to sort of link my place to your place and one of the things albert that you talk about quite a lot is this idea of wi-fi kind of just showing us what the holy spirit's already doing you know we already can gather separately and be one and be together and so i think one of the things that I would hope through the difficulties of lockdown and everything is that when churches are reviewing their purpose and thinking about what are we going back to, that they maybe take time to think, well, what is that land that we've got? You know, not just simply um, the building, but what is that land? What is that piece of earth that we have got and what can we do with it? Um, and I think rushing to get back to a particular style of church service, just because that's you know, what's comforting or feels useful is a missed opportunity. Um, and I think particularly in the United Kingdom and in Scotland, we've got a history of really kind of warped ideas about land and so many people being squashed into such a small bit of the land. Um, and I won't, you know, go into all the stuff, but there's a fantastic book, The Poor Have No Lawyers, that um, Andy Whiteman wrote, Green Campaigner, all about this kind of history in Scotland of, you know, when you think about the enclosures and, and all the stuff that, that happened that, you know, there used to be all this common land that was commonly available for people to use, the sense that it was part of us, you know, that, that we could use this land to graze or, mm -hmm. or, or, or what have you. But this land sort of subtly became public and that sort of became councils and then that sort of became sold off. And then what, what happened to the, what happened to the land that's just our land? It's all, almost every inch of Scotland or the UK is owned by someone and quite often we don't know who that is and there's these I think they're called pops the privately owned public spaces where you're walking through you know some urban space and there's nowhere you can sit so so like kind of land issues aren't just green issues aren't just about the countryside and rabbits and all the rest of it it's also about our lived experience in cities you know and there are places where there is nowhere that you can sit um, that, that if you don't buy a coffee, you know, if you can't afford a coffee, can't afford a latte, then you don't belong here and that there's nowhere you should go. And the kind of spikes that are put down for homeless people and all the rest of it. And I think these issues of social justice are connected to the land um, and are connected to us having a healthy relationship with the land where why have we got to this point in a society where so many people are homeless because our property system is predicated on this kind of scarcity? Like why, why, why are there all these homes that are empty when there could be people living in them and why do people profit off land they don't use um, because they can sit and hold on to it for however long they like and that kind of thing so obviously this is touching on all sorts of big political issues but i would hope that the church as a charity uh, charitable organizations in the britain that actually own tons of land um actually starts to rethink at this time you know of lockdown where we've all had to reevaluate 
where we live and what we do yeah, and our worlds have become smaller to think well what what can the church do with that place that bit of city that yeah. bit of country that's been given to them how can they make it blossom into well, the he, here's the question i want to throw over to uh, if i can bring in laura at this point just to link in with campbell in the, the, the in the in the square mile and in the green mile you know laura nobody's talked about the body of christ what does it mean when we are talk about the church in the body of Christ in the world. It's nothing to do with buildings. That's another oh, picture altogether. I know, that's it. It's about, and it's about... Um, I, but, but, people, I think people get, people get bogged down with the, with the notion of buildings, you know, and like being rooted in a spot. And I think that people, instead of worshipping God, they're worshipping the buildings. And... Yeah. You know, we've had this, we've had this time where we've been out of the buildings. You know, people have experienced God in a different way, you know, and, and, um, and I think, you know, there's, there's some people that are starting to understand about, you know, being the body of Christ isn't about being, you know, um, you know, Green Gears Parish Church or, you know, uh, Bonus Parish Church or anything like that. It's about being this collective, you know, united group of, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're united because we're, you know, we're saved through Christ. So this and is this Campbell's picture that he gave today about the cross. Yes. Uh-huh. Isn't it? Uh, yes, that is it. Now, can I then, can I very quickly bring my brother Ian in here? Because Ian, I think one of the things that you, 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 the body of Christ, one of the things that Jesus was, was a healer. He said, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted. I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord, but I've come to heal people. And Ian, of course, your whole life has been spent as a young man training to be a minister and a physician, but it's about people. And all of a sudden, here you are as a Christian in the midst of all this mess and in this, you might say, the, the difficult miles where people are struggling with unemployment, with illness, with all kinds of grief. And it all comes in line sometimes in your desk as a, as a GP. I, I mean, it so does, Albert. But I think you, you kind of coined it earlier on when you said that, you know, wh- where, 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 actually, where Campbell works as well, it's the same thing. Where, 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 and and Laura and and also James, where we work is where the rubber hits the road. It's the reality of it, and 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 the tr- the truth of it is that it takes big things to really shake up society and let it understand where it is. And the problem with human beings is that we we so quickly forget what is essential and important about ourselves. Now, I remember when this pandemic first hit these Green Isles and there was a spirit of COVID in a way and people banded together and they looked after each other and they went round to checking each other by and large and they stayed away from the practices unless they were the general practices that is and the doctors and accident emergency unless there was something actually wrong with them and they stayed away from pubs and they stayed away from clubs and they did that because they were told quite simply you do this you're going to die right 
dead easy. You do this, you're going to die. And if you don't die, somebody else is going to die. That's a fact. Live with it, guys. It ain't good. And do you know what happened? What happened was that all around the UK, people suddenly got this wake-up call. They thought, hang on a second. I better think about what it is that I do. I better think about how I interact with my neighbours. And there was an upswelling of what I would call common sense. And common sense dictated that, well, you know, there was a lot of things we were doing in medicine that we didn't actually need to do right then and right there. And we also suddenly thought that, you know, maybe there were we could stratify how important things were. And then we thought that, you know, it's actually a quite a good idea not to go out in groups of 750 or 2,000 or 8,000 or 25,000 and drink far too much, fight with each other and glass each other in the face, because what that would do would be to overwhelm accident emergency departments and people who, guess what, newsflash folks, had nothing to do with anything, who were actually sick through no fault of their own, well, they might not get care. So here's the deal, guys. Let's not do that. And do you know what? Everybody didn't do that. They stopped. And the government said, stop doing this or innocent people will die. It was a really simple message and everybody could get behind it. And what I see right now, um, you know, right, right now in the country is that there's this almost kind of like group mass forgetting that the pandemic has gone away. Well, I've got news for you. It hasn't gone away. Mm-hmm. So it hasn't should... gone away. Well, it... Here's a question right I, now. I want to ask you, bring us back into what, what the, the power of the spirit to bring healing well, and I... restoration into people's lives. Yeah, and, and I think what I was going to come, come down to is because the thing about Jesus was that Jesus told us things we needed to hear. The point of that particular soapbox was, that's my particular soapbox, but what Jesus would say is stuff that people needed to hear. They didn't want to hear it, right? I don't want to know that my next concert's cancelled. But Jesus told people things they didn't want to hear. He told the money lenders that they couldn't sell money in the, the grounds of places where people came to bring faith and to give alms to the poor. Can he do that? You can't learn. You can't lend money and then take money off people in the same hand. You can't do those things. Jesus was quite clear about that. He was quite revolutionary, and I think actually, to be honest, that's why the you know a lot of people didn't like him very much. So I told people so, what they needed to hear, as opposed to what they want to hear. And we need to be doing more of that and telling people what they need to hear and not what they want to hear. So, and sadly, that's my uh, role. Uh, so, I so, agree, Ian, and I think that's. What that's how the church is actually going to survive that's how the church is going to um, by actually you know because there, there's things that people don't want to hear you know but we need to be honest you know we have to be like no let's face these truths I mean um, really deep truths Laura you're right like here's the, here's the thing right don't sleep with another man's wife right just don't do it don't do that because that destroys families, destroys lives. All right? Dead easy. It's not a difficult concept to get your head around, is it? Really? It's right there. Just don't do it. Because if you do do it, bad things are going to happen. Right? 
I mean, my I mum mean, would say that you, you have to face the consequences. Exactly. You you made your bed. Now you'll have to sleep but, in it. But I someone. Mean, but the point is of that. It's not only you, but other people yes. have to live out those consequences. Exactly. So here's the healing. But what I'm interested in too is the gospel of healing and reconciliation. What is the church about? Why are we here? What what see this body? I'm I'm more interested in getting us to start thinking about what does it mean to be the body of Christ in the square mile? What does it mean to be the body of Christ in the green mile? What does it mean to be the body of Christ in the, you know, in the, because in the mile? And then, Laura, what does it mean to be the body of Christ in the world of marketing? But then we are, we are, as Christians, like the, the, the best advertising or the worst advertising of Jesus, <laughs> you know, we are. Some of the copy we, is a bit weak. Some of the copy. How, how we live out in our communities, how we interact with our communities, you know, are we raising people up? Are we listening to people? Are we, you know, are we helping to bring justice? You know, are we calling out whenever, you know, we're, we're seeing like really, you know, wrong things happening? And I mean like people exploiting folks in the community, folk exploiting, you know, folk throughout the world, um, you know, are we, are we doing that? And whenever people see us doing that, and, you know, living our faith, you know, you know, showing people that face a God and at work, then we are the absolute best adverts that there is, you know, for, 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 you know, coming and joining, joining us in this, you know, body of Christ. But that is what the church is for, Laura, though, isn't it? It's to say, right, do you know what? They, see, these things, these things, as the American Constitution says, we hold to be self-evident, right? These are just basic stuff that Jesus was saying, right, don't do that, don't do that, do do that, do do the next thing. But what he did say was, see, if you have done all these things, I still love you. Bye. You're still precious and you're still magnificent and you're still the beautiful, wonderful you and I'm still with you every step of the way. But, but just don't, but, don't cause damage. Try not yeah. cause damage. But I'll stand beside you. And, and do you know what? There is redemption. And nothing you do, as you said, Albert, will ever separate you from the love of God. Now, here's, here we go. I want now to ask you another question, guys. So what should the church and what will the church look like in five years' time because of the COVID experience? What, what, how is that going to affect the church? What should we be preparing for? Campbell. Huh. Yeah, another simple, straightforward question. It's funny, it's one of the things we've been looking at as, as we're starting to think about we're going to be able to go back in the... complied with all the government rules. We've not been in the buildings. We've had online services. So Sanctuary First was a great model for that. Um, so we're thinking, do we go back to the old ways of doing things? And the short answer to that is no, we're not going to do that. We're going to honour the traditions we've got in the Anglican community. For, for some people, that's really important. But we're going to do things differently. We're going to try to maintain an online presence because we know that there are people who've been watching the online content who don't come to the church buildings 
Mm. So we're, we're going to continue to engage with them in that way. We know that there are some people who have watched that online content and thought, actually, I'd quite like to get involved in that. So we're about to start running an alpha. And we're going to use that to inform what we need to do to get those people more engaged. So you do that as an online alpha? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and one of the things that I'm really passionate about and we've, we've not done very well here is, is, is Laura's point about social justice. Um, you know, we've got, we've got nine churches, churches, churches that we're churches. responsible for. And they're all grade one, grade two listed. So we spend an awful lot of our time just trying to raise money to keep the roof on. And that means we've not, because we've not got huge numbers because we live in villages. Um, but I think we've missed out on that fundamental thing of being a church and showing God's love to people. The people in our community, whether that's within five miles, 50 or 500 miles, who really need it. So we're, we're really reassessing what being a church means in terms of not just, if you like, the simple stuff of which version of the Bible do we read from on a Sunday morning, mm -hmm. but, but what is God telling us we should be doing mm. to, to be authentic as, as the body of Christ? You know, what does that mean about how we relate to each other as the group? How does it affect our welcome factor for people who want to come and find out more? And what does it mean about how we show God's love to people who don't want to have anything to do with the church but have needs? So, yeah, it, pretty grassroots stuff. Mm. Mm. Laura, you, you're, you're just about entering now. You're starting, you've started your ministry, you know, where do, where do you see the church going as, as, as a minister who's going to be starting your ministry in the next five years? Where do you see yourself? What, what kind of, you know, what kind of platform, what kind of landscape are you going to be ministering in? I don't think, I, I don't see there being um, I, I, the buildings. You know, I see is you know, it's really as church without walls. You know, the barriers are down, you know, we've started to take barriers down and I see them, um, you know, it's, uh, I see, you know, being, you know, out in the fields, you know, I see, you know, myself, you know, um, and others, you know, as like, you know, in the shopping centres, you know, in the, um, on, on bring the your, sports. Bring your, horse, bring your horse to the field. <laughs> I say bring your horse you know, to church. We're, we're there where people are, but there's the buildings are not needed. And actually we might not even be, you know, we might not even be getting paid to be ministers, you know. But that's okay because we're doing God's work and we're working alongside other people who are, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ that want the same thing. And, and that we're making that love available to all. Because I think for too long, we've been holding it. You know, there's a, it's, there's, I think it's been telling that, that through the, the, the one of the big messages uh, throughout 
COVID, you know, politically, with the, you know, and issues that were rising up was about privilege and the people who who had privilege and the people who haven't, and that things have to be switched about and reversed. And it's like, you know, we have to make, and in the church, I think we've, you know, kept it to ourselves a wee bit, and oh, I will give it to some people that we think, uh, oh, and we'll help this one and help that one. No, we spread it to everyone. Mm. <laughs> Ian, Ian you, you, how do you see, what do you see the church going to draw in the the people that you minister to in your in your in your work in a daily life, where, where, where is the church in five years' time? I don't think the church is a building at all. I just don't. Um, I never have. Church is the people, and I think like leadership, like anything in life, uh, you have to have some kind of embodiment and realism about who you actually are and and what you believe in um and i think that what we all have to do as christians is to look to the cross and listen to the hard stuff that jesus says the good stuff that jesus says and realize that jesus loves us through all of it and when you know that when you really understand what that means that changes you fundamentally inside and you're fundamentally a different person and you talk in a different way and you imbue a sense of Christ in a different way and people will come into your orbit who are meant to be there because God sends them your way but equally you will be sent the way um, of what God wants you to learn and wants you to understand and I think we need to be alive to that as a church. So if, if I, I think the church needs to be an evolving and a growing thing, I think, you know, Campbell's right when he says about, you know, a, a line in the sand and, and, and the Bible um, is, is a wonderful, it's a wonderful map. But a map shows you the territory, but it doesn't show you how to get from one place to another. For that, you have to explore the map. And sometimes you need to have a good map reader or, you know, a person beside you that maybe knows the way better than you do. They can take you down the wee B road you didn't know about. Mm. Um, and I think that's what I mean about the churches with the people now. And as it always should have been and mm. as it always was. Um, and within the people, that's how God's light will shine in the world through those people, through people who understand that the world is not just science. The people who understand that science and religion are, in fact, very comfortable bedfellows mm. in reality. When we, when we start to unpick it and unpick the strings of what we, what we see as reality. Um, so I think the church is the people, but I think the church is evolving and growing. I think that we ourselves, as Christians here tonight, now and all the people watching this podcast they are part of god's kingdom and when god's spirit touches you as it will when you open yourself up to it and as god will bring people into your lives that you can help and that can help you that's how it's going to grow just as it always grew from the days of the first disciples it's encouraging isn't it absolutely and this is a nice link into a uh, james Cathcart who who lives in the green place. That's his simplicity. James, who likes the simple. James, 
Where do you think the church will be in the next five years? Well, I'll have flowers in my beard, obviously. <laughs> uh, and, uh, <laughs> no, too. I think I'd like to. I'd like to pick up. Yes, Ian, absolutely. Um, uh, Campbell, when you said before about um, you know keeping this online presence because of these other people that have got involved, you know, and I think that's a really important message for people. This is. I will answer your question, Albert, but I, th- I think this is a kind of really important point for people to consider, to think that you've had an opportunity to engage in a new way and to see, um, conceive of yourself in a new way uh, and to invite other people to come in. And I think as the edges of church become more porous, we're going to see an interesting new community, like what the body of Christ is going to look like is going to be different in the future. And so I think in terms of that question of where we're going to be in five years, I don't know, you know, some of it, I don't know. And I think sometimes when the problem is sometimes that the people who are asked, what should we do about church are often the people who go to church, right? And you don't really need to ask them because they already go to the church that's there, right? The the church is working for them, right? It may not be working perfectly, but it's working for them. And I think the problem, as you said, Laura, is that we have been quite insular. And even as we've been saying we're not, we've ended up being so because we found like-minded people and we've found a thing we like doing and, and that's fine. But I think As church, you know, and certainly from what I've read and and come across, more people have been looking into church over the summer and, you know, an existential crisis will do that as well as, you know, online technology. But a lot of people have been very interested in faith um, uh, and uh, are exceedingly interested in faith in the 21st century. Um, And and how things have come together at this moment has meant that the church is actually one of those places where we can talk about life and death and meaning and, and what really matters in a way that is often too feels too hard and too raw in other contexts there's a because of the art that's in church because of the poetry because of the beauty that is in our buildings you know some of our buildings not all of our buildings but in some of our buildings because of the beauty the the thickness of that experience church gives you a kind of a place where you can talk about these issues where you can handle these things and so my hope is that the church in five years time just doesn't look like it does now and and i'm actually excited for the future of the church and actually a lot of the innovation for the change is going to come from people who aren't currently part of the church, even now, you know, there will be people over the next few years who are going to be absolutely fundamental to God's mission, who are currently totally unaware of it um, and are doing something else and could be bothered with church, won't even log on to church. Right. But something's going to happen to them in the next five years. And then we'll be sitting listening to their plan, right? Because God will be leading them. And, and I think we need to be much more open to voices that are saying new things, new ways of doing things that jive with what we've been doing, right? Because we've been honorable. We, you know, we've been following this tradition and there's great things that we've protected and saved and we're not going to throw away, but we need to cross fertilize with some new stuff as well. Uh, and then we'll be here in 50 years, 500 years. Yeah, absolutely. I used to say to our folks in Buenos Let's pray for the people who God is bringing, who's not arrived yet. The people, let's, this kingdom, bringing a kingdom in, this wider group of people. And, and I love that idea of, as we start, we're getting to the place where I really wanted us to go tonight, is that we've opened it up to really see that, and what Ian talked about there at the point, he talked about the cross of Christ. It all starts with the cross of Christ. And if you're looking in tonight, and you're looking for direction, there's no better place than to come to the cross because the cross of Christ speaks to us about our, our hurt, our, our pain. It also speaks to about forgiveness. It speaks to us about how we can be reconciled to God and to our neighbor. 
and that's what that 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 you know that that cross that you talked about Campbell as well and so we need to I think what Ian's been saying is we can't we can't we can't skip the cross because it's the hard place it's a place where we've broken we've broken God's law we've broken all kinds of things it needs to be that our lives need to be mended and again the church the cross of Christ is a place where a Someone once talked about the church being an ambulance that draws us and saves us and brings us and rescues us and the community of God. That's part of our job too, is to work with those who are broken and hurting and going through difficult and welcome them because there's space for everyone. And I think sometimes we, we give the impression that the church has to be this mighty army and there's no room for anybody who's wounded. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You, you know, Albert, there was, I, I said this, the last time I was on the podcast, but there was there, there is no army in the world as strong as that woman that stood up after the New Zealand shootings of the Muslims. Um, a Muslim woman who, who stood up and said, um, "I forgive you to the gunman. That mm -hmm. I have no hate in my heart for you, but I forgive you because my religion tells me that God says that we need to forgive, and I forgive you." And her husband had died. Yeah. Her husband had died, and I thought. There are no words more powerful than those words, than you know, and and maybe as Christians we all need to reflect on that kind of thing, that sometimes we just need to say, "I forgive you, I love you, I understand," you know, the things that you, the stuff that's happened is has happened, but let's talk about the future now, and I don't judge you for it. It's not it's not for me to judge. Mm. Just not. I mean, Campbell, you, you're a lawyer. You may have a different view on that. Um, you're involved in judgment, obviously. But and and I myself speak in court regularly. But I, I just judgment is not mine to give. All all it is for me to do is to speak truth to power. That's all I can do in my life. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think a really important part about about the future of church is is this sense of acceptance that people need to have mm -hmm. that, that whatever story they're bringing to the community they need to know that they are going to be valued that they're not going to be judged by the remaining parts of the body you know that they're going to be accepted for for who they are with all their their strangeness their quirkiness their weirdness um and i think if you can get to that level of authenticity the newcomer realizes that everybody else that's sharing the bread and the wine is actually just as weird, just as broken, just as needful as they are. Mm. And you know, we've got to get rid of this facade in the church that we're all we're all well. I mean, we're all we're all broken in some shape or form. Mm -hmm. But Jesus came to heal that brokenness, though. That's the thing, though, isn't it? I mean, that that that's what Jesus was all about. Jesus was there to heal that brokenness and that's why the cross the cross was there to heal that brokenness and to say there is redemption there mm. is another side there is another side to the things you've done and the, and, and, and the places you've been and the things you've seen and, and some of the stuff you've done that I've told you no today and, oh, I mean, it's like Janie Godley doing Nicola Sturgeon, you know. I, I listen to Janie Godley more than I listen to Nicola. Don't forget about Janie Godley. <laughs> I'm looking for is to finish off with is the importance of the church. How do we convey that message through the arts, through
through our music, through our, our, our creativity, through, you know, just what I'm saying, it's not the, it's these gifts of the Holy Spirit that are there for people to connect with. And the church needs to be, celebrate the music of God's people, the, you know, the art of God's people, the color of God's people, you know, because it's all communicating a message. And, and that's where we need to look and see that message happening all over the place, not just in institutionalized conformity, but out there in the most random places to hear the word of God being spoken, you know, by Stormzy, you know, <laughs> you, know I, I, you know, at a huge rock festival, you know, and he ends up saying, now not everybody, not everybody was doing it, but did they all mean it? But do they all mean it when they come to worship in a church anyway? But some people would have been profoundly affected by that by that example. Absolutely. I remember I remember the bass player in a band Campbell and I played with uh, Act of Succession many years ago, Stephen Green. He said that the closest he'd ever come to a religious experience was at a U2 concert. He said he'd never really felt that way before in his entire life. But Bono got up and he did what Bono does and he, he came away from that concert feeling different, feeling that he'd almost had a religious experience. I, I thought that was an incredible thing. Um, so I would say, you know, poets, writers, people who cook good scones, cook those scones, right? Write those passages, you know, speak that prose, you know, give a, give a sermon. Or write that song, but do what you do. Keep your eyes on the cross and just do it and let God's love be at the core of what that's about. And try and just not forget not forget that. And try and not let ego get in the way. Because ego's a terrible thing, I think. You know, I think ego can be a really difficult Campbell's smiling there because he knows talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think it's just about you know it's like about us all being just authentically you know showing that you know our love for God out to other people you know and if we bring that and we show that you know fully and authentically it doesn't need to be don't need to be doing anything big and fancy all we have to be doing is like loving people and that yeah. then can like, you know, people then yeah. see it and it's oh, like... Yeah. Hey guys, it's now, we're, now, we're now seven minutes over our time. <laughs> seven minutes over our time. We, we've, done a, we've, we've gone on a great journey tonight. Huge thank you to Campbell Dye for being with us and for his writing this week and for stimulating that conversation that's got us going. To you, James Cathcart, as usual, for your contribution. Huge thank you. To, to Laura again for coming and being with us. It's great to have you back again. We've missed you these last few weeks. And Ian, of course, you've been away for the last few weeks as well. So it's great having you back again with us in this uh, time together. Can I remind you that uh, we're going to be, since C.S. Lewis has been mentioned, we're going to be actually looking at some C.S. Lewis books in the book club. Uh, there's a new book club starting at the beginning of October. And uh, Sandy Smith uh, from Belfast is going to be leading us through a, a, one of C.S. Lewis's books, Surprised by Joy, 
and he's going to uh, introduce each each section of it. Over five weeks, we're going to do encourage people to read three chapters a week, and uh, through that, he's going to introduce you to the writings of C.S. Lewis. And I think you're in for a treat. Those who love C.S. Lewis, sign up for that book club because I think it's going to be oversubscribed. If you want to be part of it, and the 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 opportunity to sign up will be happening next week. And we'll maybe try and get, I'm hoping that we might get Sandy on next week to just talk about what he's hoping to do in the book club. So, hey guys, there you go. Superb. Great. Good night. Thanks to you, Albert. Thank you. And so it's Thanks next, to everyone for listening. <laughs> yeah, thank you all for listening. Have a good weekend wherever you are. If you have a chance, look in on our service on Sunday because it's Laura who's been organising it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well so it's not the usual well, rubbish. So it's <laughs> not the usual. <laughs> above this Sunday. Above. Can I say that Campbell Dye's sermon was really good last week? Well done, Campbell. Brilliant. I'm sorry I missed it, brother. <laughs> well, you can listen to it. You can go on and listen to Sunday Live and listen I'll, to it. I'll have it on replay, don't you worry. <laughs> Good. If um, people are going to tune in or if they're going to watch the service, Sunday service on the catch-up, bring with you a mirror because at some point we're going to be using a mirror. Just a wee hand mirror. That's all you need. But uh, uh, I won't tell you any more about it, but just bring something. Just bring a mirror along with you. And also, thank you again, once again, to Ray uh, Manger, who's behind the weekly review there. Uh, uh, we saw Rosie, our dog, just earlier on tonight as well. And Campbell showed us his dog as well. But uh, anyway, guys, God bless. Until we see you next week. Good night. Have a great weekend. Good night, Good night everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.